Hi, you're listening to Ingredipedia, a factual food fight podcast where we choose an ingredient and over the course of the episode share facts, tips, uses, recipes uh, for that ingredient and you get to decide who is most interesting through the magic of social media. Emily Naismith, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Yeah, we're talking about mushrooms today. Mm. I feel like it's really good for the season. It's true. Um, Foraging season's over in uh, the southeast of Australia. I didn't get a chance to do any foraging this year. Uh, I do like to go and get get me some uh, saffron milk cap pine mushrooms wherever Mm -hmm. I can. They're an excellent eating mushroom. Uh, And people are very, very uh, protective about where their mushroom foraging sites are. So if I can't get to a specific one, there's one in the Yarra Valley I like to go to, but if I can't get to that one, it's always like, hey, has anyone got a spot? And everyone's like, no, I don't have a spot. And shut get up. Get your own spot. Get your own spot. It's like a surf spot. Like People get really, really mad. Hopefully this episode won't make you mad as over the next three rounds, we discuss mushrooms. So, Ben, did you go to any Catholic schools when you were growing up? I did not. Mm. Okay, well, I did, and I was forced to learn about religion. Um, Not religious at all now, but through my school life, we did learn a lot about the Bible. Got in trouble in grade four for colouring in Mary red, not Mm -hmm. blue. But, uh, yeah, I know. We didn't learn this thing about Christianity. So, apparently, Christianity was essentially the product of a sex and mushroom cult. And the mushroom was seen as the gateway to understanding God. It all, it's all clear to me now. I know. Um, so I was Googling mushrooms for the podcast and I came across the headline, Christianity stemmed from a sex and mushroom cult. And I instantly needed to find out yeah, more. Yeah, of course. So the idea stems from a book written in 1970 by a guy called John Marco Allegro called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. And even though this book is often cited as, quote, possibly the single most ludicrous book on Jesus scholarship by a qualified academic, I really wanted to learn more for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the basic idea is that primitive religions were based on fertility rituals. Yeah. Thinking about The Handmaid's Tale, Mm. which we're both watching in the moment. Mm -hmm. Allegro, he believed that fertility cults like this used the hallucinogenic mushroom. So that's the red mushroom with the white spots. Mm -hmm. And he also said that these mushrooms are the root of many religions, including Christianity. And the reason you don't hear about it much in the Bible is he argued that the mushroom and its powers were a secret. So they had to be written down in the form of codes hidden in mythical uh, stories. This is getting to, into some like Da Vinci Code bullshit. Yep. Yeah, right. So one of his examples is in a painting in a 13th century chapel in France where Adam and Eve are standing next to a tree made of a big red and white mushroom Mm -hmm. with a snake twisting around the tree. Well, that's not very coded, is it? No, well, that's not coded, (laughs) but basically... That's just straight up, Jesus is mushrooms. (laughs) Um, And someone else actually said that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate from was a symbol for a psychedelic mushroom since it gave them the knowledge that they were naked, which they didn't previously have. Right. Um, and in fact, not only did mushroom appear in Jesus' life, it stated in the book that Jesus was actually a mushroom. <laughs> um, he was created by early Christians on the, under the influence of psychoactive mushrooms. Right. Of course. Um, so the book's been described as notorious and one of the strangest books ever published. There was a media frenzy when it was um, released in the 70s, at, which caused the publisher to apologise for publishing it and forced Allegro's resignation from his uni position. 
Um, I just really wish I had known about this in school so I could have seen my RE teacher's face when I drew Jesus as a mushroom after coming in Mary Red. A plus. <laughs> okay, let's let's stay on the psychoactive mushroom, the hallucinogenic effects of it in history. I want to talk a little bit about that as well, but I'm going to go before Christianity. Yep. And even before the Stone Age rock art in Europe and Africa in the in pre-Columbian Mesoamerica where uh, apparently um, uh, the effects of mushrooms were depicted in rock art. Um, many cultures have used mushrooms in their religious rites and ceremonies, as you mentioned, particularly fertility rites. But did you know that there's also a theory that those mushrooms are responsible for our fully developed human brains? No. So this theory is called the stoned ape theory. Uh, and let's hear it from its author, uh, a psychedelics advocate um, and, uh, and an author named Terence McKenna. This is a little, little bit of a much longer speech. And um, as somebody who was uh, an advocate for hallucinogenics, you can imagine how much there is about him on the internet, but uh, we'll just listen to a little bit of the stoned ape theory from Terence McKenna. So it is necessary in evolutionary theory to account for the dramatic emergence of the human neocortex in this very narrow window of time. Basically, in about two million years, these higher, they went from being higher primates, hominids, to being true humans, as truly human as you and I tonight. What the hell happened? What was the factor? The earth was already old. Many hundreds of higher animal forms had come and gone, and the fire of intelligence had never been kindled. So what happened? I think that the answer lies in, in diet, generally, and in psychedelic chemistry in particular. I think that as the African continent grew drier, we were forced out of the ecological niche we had evolved into, which was we were canopy-dwelling primates, insectivores, complex signaling repertoire, uh, evolutionary dead-end. But when we came under nutritional pressure, we were flexible enough this is the key to humanness at every stage of its development, our maddening flexibility. Other animal and plant species Okay, well, can't he, he goes on here. I mean, this is part of a 10-minute video of the stoned ape theory by Terence McKenna. But basically, the theory goes that the consumption of psilocybin was, um, you know, the, of hallucinogenic mushrooms was done in small doses as, as we uh, moved around the, uh, the African sort of plains. Uh, we, we were sort of coexisting or, or you know, the pre-human hominids were, were coexisting with uh, kind of like cattle type creatures whose dung would uh, spawn these mushrooms and we would eat some uh, and not, not in enough to make us completely stoned um, or, or hallucinate, but um, it says here in an article in, in truththeory.com, uh, instead, we reach the point of uh, heightened senses and boosted energy. It's similar to what one might experience after taking taking a courtesy toke or two from a good sativa strain of marijuana. The improved visual acuity was great for spotting pre predators and prey alike, 
and the auditory acuity and perhaps even heightened paranoia, the good kind, not the crippling fear kind, made them more aware of approaching danger. What also um, comes out in the stoned ape theory is that it, it put um, into our mind, uh, well, our ancestors' minds, the idea of putting images into another's head, so sharing ideas. And so language might actually come from eating, from our ancestors eating these mushrooms and having these crazy hallucinogenic ideas or hallucinatory ideas and then wanting to share them. So language development saw immense growth during this period and the stoned ape theory insinuates experiences on mushrooms uh, experiences on mushrooms to help further this development along mushrooms might be why we are smart terence mckenna also says that the mushrooms might have come from outer space but that's a whole <laughs> other thing um you can look into that um the police will definitely start tracking you um uh, as soon as you google that but uh the stoned ape theory mushrooms made us who we are Uh, so I've been playing a lot of um, Nintendo recently because my friend Katie Lanigan, long-time Ingredipedia listener mm-hmm. and actual real-life friend, um, gave me a mini NES with 30 inbuilt games for my wedding. Um, and so, so far I've been gravitating towards Dr. Mario and Super Mario Brothers 3. So last weekend I was playing Super Mario Brothers 3, feeling really guilty that I wasn't doing podcast research. And then at eight o'clock on Saturday night, when I just clocked one of the levels, I realised I was doing <laughs> podcast research. Sure you were. <laughs> so all through Super Mario Brothers 3 are mushrooms. The whole world you play in is called the mushroom world. And in fact, mushrooms are actually the first opponent you meet in the whole game. Wow. So you know those little brown mushrooms with eyes and angry eyebrows with legs that walk along and you kill them by jumping on them. Like, yeah, yeah, I think I know them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So according to Wikipedia, they're known as Goombas. Um, and yeah, they're the first thing that you see in Super Mario Brothers, the first thing that can kill you. But actually after doing some research, even though they were the first, they're the first opponent you meet, they're actu- they were actually the last opponent invented right. in the game. Um. So when they were originally making the game, the most basic opponents were the green turtles that walk along and you can jump on their back to make them go into their shell and you can pick up the shell and throw them at things. Um, But when they got the first testers to test the game, that opponent was too hard as like the base level opponent and they needed something easier to make people feel good about um, their ability to play the game. Mm -hmm. And so they invented this mushroom character based on a shiitake mushroom. Yeah. Of course, because it's like... um, uh, Japanese, J- Nintendo's a Japanese company. Yeah. And yeah, it's, um, you can find them in any level except underwater levels. They're everywhere. They can have different forms throughout the game. Um, and yeah, they're really easy to kill. So, And they're delicious. And they're delicious. Let this be a lesson to you. If you procrastinate hard enough, <laughs> you'll end up finding the answers in the video game that you're playing. I don't buy it for a second, <laughs> and I don't think our listeners will either. But thank you, Emily Naismith, the laziest researcher of all that time. That was a really good fact. That appeals to <laughs> lots of people who don't like eating mushrooms. They might like playing Nintendo. It's very true. Uh, okay, well, let's stay with... Um, well, it's not really staying with anything. Let's talk <laughs> um, about a completely different thing. Have you ever tried to grow mushrooms before? You can buy like mushroom kits from uh, like nurseries and things like that. I think I remember 
You, do you keep them in a dark cupboard? I think I remember doing it as a kid. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You need like very kind of wet. Yeah. Dark environment for them. Um, I tried to do it as a kid too as well and mm. it never worked. It was just a complete waste no, of time. Never I've never worked. grown a mushroom ever. But maybe what I was missing from this kit was just a little bit of lightning. All right. Because this is from a National Geographic article from 2010 and there hasn't been a lot of follow-up on it. I'm not sure whether it's just become how mushrooms are farmed. But um, for generations, Japanese farm... Well, actually, there's a connection. We're going back to Japan. <laughs> Japanese people love the mushroom. Uh, Japanese farmers have welcomed storms over their fields based on the belief that lightning strikes provoke plentiful harvests of mushrooms, which are staples of Japanese cuisine. Uh, and turns out there's something to it. As part of a four-year study, scientists in northern Japan have been bombarding a variety of mushroom mushrooms in lab-based garden plots with artificially induced lightning to see if electricity actually makes the fungi multiply. Uh, and yeah, it works. The latest results show that lightning strength jolts of electricity can more than double the yield of certain mushroom species compared with conventional cultivation methods. But you have to be careful because too much will literally, well, it says here a direct hit with much, with, um, too much energy would fry the mushrooms, literally, like, which yeah. would be delicious, but no. not like wouldn't help you farm them. What happens in a lightning strike is that the mushrooms that um, the, the mushrooms near the strike zone grow after being exposed to a weakened charge tra- traveling through the soil. So the researchers have been using gentle bursts of electricity. So they get like a little jolt and th- feel like they're under under pressure uh, or in danger, and then they sort of start you know spawning everywhere. Is how it works. So repeated tests have shown that the fungi react best when they're exposed to between fifty thousand and 100,000 volts for one ten millionth of a second. So if you are trying to grow mushrooms, all you need is between 50,000 and 10,000 volts of electricity. Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, cool. cool. Done. Tick. <laughs> so we've been looking for a new house over the past year or so. Mm-hmm. And recently we were looking in um, Box Hill, which is in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we were super early for an inspection, uncharacteristically. Um, and we were just walking around the, like just normal suburban streets and a lady stopped us who was standing on a nature strip and she was pointing at the ground and she's like, do you think these mushrooms are safe to eat? And she was pointing to like 20 (laughs) mushrooms on the ground. Um, and they, they did look like the white button mushrooms that you get at the supermarket, but I also didn't want to be responsible for her death. So I said, I probably wouldn't eat them because I heard that it's hard to tell if they're poisonous or not. Yeah. Um, and we laughed and I walked off and then she's like, I'm going to ask my neighbor. I'm like, Oh God. (laughs) Um, and she just stayed, um, waiting until someone else walked past. She just wanted to to hear a different answer. Yeah. She just wanted to hear yes. Yep. Um, but it got me thinking, did I scare her unnecessarily? And what are the chances that those mushrooms would actually be poisonous? So I was thinking it would probably be like a 5% chance. Like it's probably not going to happen, but if it does happen, then it's not worth taking the risk. But turns out it's a lot higher. So over 50% of mushrooms growing across Victoria this winter are poisonous, mm. according to an ABC News article from earlier this year. Um, the death cap mushroom which is the most dangerous mushroom in the world, and the yellow staining mushroom um, are spawning in huge amounts in the parks, gardens, and laneways of urban Melbourne, and even like in rural and regional Victoria. 
So these two mushrooms both outnumber the amount of edible mushrooms that are sprouting and they look really similar to the safe varieties. So how they hurt you? Well, the yellow stainer causes days of illness, which isn't great, but the death cut mushroom. I'm gonna, can I just go out on a limb? Yeah. That one kills you? It That one, well, it doesn't, I don't think it would, it may kill you, Okay. but it doesn't you know, kill you a lot of the time, I don't think. <laughs> okay. But the death cut mushroom gives you a sore tummy, which isn't that bad. But then after two or three days, the poison um, starts affecting your liver and then that causes liver failure, which can then cause death. Yeah. Um, so basically, if you need to ask a stranger on the street whether you should eat a mushroom, then you probably don't shouldn't. Eat, don't eat the mushroom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, and as somebody who has foraged for mushrooms before, I have to be very, very clear. I forage for two different types of mushrooms, um, saffron milk caps and slippery jacks, and only in pine forests and only in a certain time of the year. And if I see anything else, even if it looks delicious, I throw it away. And that was the advice I got from uh, Rowan Anderson, who's a great food writer and uh, who, who taught me how to forage. Um, he's like, I, I know a couple more, but I'm not going to even start to teach other people because it's just like... Too risky. What? It, it's not worth the risk. Mm. Um especially on a nature strip in Box yeah, Hill. you do need your liver. <laughs> I want to bring us back to much safer territory, comforting, comforting, safe territory. Oh, and I want to acknowledge, just give a bit of a shout out to Campbell's Cream of Mushroom Soup. Yeah. It's the mushroom episode. Respect. Like, let's, let's respect <laughs> it. I mean, it's iconic. It's versatile. Nobody's probably ever eaten it on its own ever before. Yeah. But... It is the backbone of some of the most comforting. Wait, what do you mean? No one's eaten it on its own. I have. You've eaten cream of mushroom soup by itself. By itself. Warmed up. You just you add some milk, or you just a little bit of water, and you. Oh yeah, add some milk. Yeah, I guess. No, I, that, but that's what I mean. You you just eat it as a soup. Yeah. Cream of mushroom soup. Well, what would you like? Put it in. a... Use one of your kitchen contraptions to construct <laughs> some elaborate five days. No, you use it in, in a recipe. <laughs> The well, same I've, would... I've never done that. I've never heard of that. Okay. Well, I'm going to take you <laughs> on a culinary tour of mainly the United States because cream of mushroom soup is the backbone of some of the worst recipes in history. Okay. I'm going to start with breakfast. Actually, most of these are breakfast because I, I really got thinking got to thinking about there's not enough um, mushroom soup-based breakfast goods. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to start with uh, tuna and waffles. Uh, which how do the mushrooms go into that? Well, you blend one can of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup with half a cup of milk. Sorry, a third a cup of milk. I don't want to get this wrong. You uh, add a cup of drained flaked tuna and a quarter of a cup of sliced stuffed olives. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> sorry, I was I'm, I was really trying not to. Think yeah, I've actually got some sliced olives in my fridge from when we did the pineapple episode <laughs> about two years ago. Um, yeah, so you mix that together, you heat thoroughly, and then you pour over four crisp waffles. Presto, a quick and easy dinner for four. Oh, it's dinner. It's waffle. It's dinner waffle. Um, so that's the first one. Then there's, um, what else have we got here? Breakfast sausage casserole. A delicious breakfast casserole with gravy. The perfect start to any morning, according to <laughs> allrecipes.com. Thank you, Heather Franks, who put this one up. That's a, a pound of breakfast sausage, which is a sort of an American-type contraption. It's kind of 
like hamburger mince. Uh, eight slices of cubed bread. I'm guessing very, very white bread. Uh, four cups of shredded cheddar cheese. I'm going to go with Kraft on this one. <laughs> Six eggs, salt, of course, uh, dry mustard powder, two cups of milk, and a can of condensed cream mushroom soup. You uh, mix everything together. You, well, you basically you know, lay the bread on the bottom and you put everything in and you put the cheese on top and you make a breakfast casserole with it. That sounds kind of disgusting. Um, there's a couple more in there. There was um, super scramble, which is basically scrambled eggs with cream of mushroom soup through it. That doesn't sound bad. Mm, it's very grey. Yeah. A, it's a grey soup. Um, but my favourite was one called funeral potatoes. <laughs> Uh, which I got from a, a website called Barbara Bakes Adventures in the Kitchen. Um, Barbara is, I believe, a member of the Mormon Church, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But funeral potatoes are basically a cheesy hash brown casserole. It sounds pretty good, really. Um, she describes it as the perfect comfort food, a hot, creamy, cheesy, delicious hash brown casserole with a crisp, crispy, salty topping that feeds a crowd. So it's basically hash browns mixed with... Mm cream of mushroom soup sometimes it uses um like chicken cream of chicken soup sprinkled um, with ashes yeah well and then i was like really curious as to why it's called funeral potatoes and it's because it um is uh was developed by mormons in utah um because it feeds a big crowd and in the mormon church like when there's a funeral um you know basically the whole community gets together and so from learning about uh, funeral potatoes, I, I, I hit on this um, link on mormonshare.com. Um, if you are wondering how to plan a Latter-day Saints funeral, um, I've got the entire planning kit here, basically. Like, it's step-by-step, step, you know. Um, one, call the family to find out the time and place of the funeral, estimated time of the luncheon, and a rough estimate of how many family members will be eating. It's got stuff like how many chairs you'll need, Decide the menu. It's, it suggests funeral potatoes in here. Um, you know, what you'll need, like scissors and tape to put up any kind of signage, paper to cover the tables, napkins. Jesus. Like it really... So if anyone needs to plan a Mormon funeral, I'm your guy. <laughs> um, and all because of the magic of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup. Okay, so what are we talking about? I spoke about Christianity being the product of a sex and mushroom cult. And I spoke about the stoned ape theory, which says that we are only here because of sex and mushroom cults. Then I did a little investigating into Super Mario Brothers 3 and how the mushrooms um, infiltrate that game. And I learnt how to farm mushrooms using the power of lightning. And I told you that you should never eat mushrooms if you don't know what you're doing because most of them are poisonous. Interestingly, there was a link to poison mushrooms because I learned how to plan a Mormon <laughs> funeral by celebrating Campbell's cream of mushroom soup. So they're the facts. Mm -hmm. You can vote for either my facts or Emily's facts on Instagram at Ingridopedia. There'll be a little tile with a picture of a mushroom. Ems will look a lot more inviting than mine. It'll go up before mine. It'll have that nice pink in the background. She'll be saying... I've actually reversed it at here. the moment because I uploaded another picture that kind of got the order off. So I'm feeling like that's why another reason why you're winning at the moment. Okay. So I've, I'll put up another picture and then, we'll, yeah, I've, okay. I've got it sorted. Sure, sure. Okay, great. <laughs> well, thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you again about some other food stuff real soon.